Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. And people can come and uh, suggest some different topics um, of Dharma for uh, us to talk about during this time. I had uh, considered what is the theme also for talks for this period. And I think the most basic one that came up from what people had asked and also what struck me since uh, in the last talk I had talked about just my take on Dharma and what we're up to here uh, was again to start in the beginning in some ways, which is with the Eightfold Path. Now, some of you may be disappointed you want something more complex and uh, you know, fancier than that, but uh, if you have nothing to learn about the Eightfold Path, I congratulate you on your complete and total enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, please continue to sit with us to benefit all of us with your presence, too. <laughs> but I really think that this is a, a really helpful framework for uh, considering our lives and our practice. And actually, for myself, I've been practicing for uh, about 22 years now, and I've continue to go back to this and to learn more about each of the pieces on this and I feel like it continues to deepen in my life and in my understanding and certainly also as I now have to uh, be teaching about this for the last uh, six years or so so now that I have to talk about it of course I have to learn it in a different way as well. So I'll give you a little bit of the overview and then I wanted to focus on a particular piece of it um, for tonight of the Eightfold Path. So Eightfold Path is, is Buddha's articulation of the path to happiness, the path to liberation, the path to freedom. And this is the result of his own uh, spiritual quest, his own personal spiritual quest that resulted in his level of understanding and the beginning of his teaching. And the Eightfold Path is not a sequential kind of thing, even though it is a numbered list, there are eight steps in the Eightfold Path. But it's not the kind of thing where you would uh, go like, Number one, check. Number two, check. Number three, check. Uh, it actually is something that uh, kind of feeds into itself, and so it's more like a three-dimensional or even sort of holographic kind of map in which each of the steps are connected to each other, uh, and you start in one place and then you can connect to other places as well. And each step also helps to deepen the others. So the overall uh, structure of it is that there's a piece of it that's around wisdom, there's a piece of, piece of it that's actually around conduct, uh, ethical conduct, and then there's a piece of it that's around uh, cultivation of the mind, uh, meditation, you could say. Now a lot of the um, Dharma groups as they've come to the United States as Buddhism has made its way across space and time to us here in 21st century San Francisco. Uh, oftentimes the focus becomes a lot on meditation, which is one of the unique and helpful contributions that the Buddha had to uh, make and also which is now offered for us as lay people, which is a benefit and uh, a positive spiritual uh, accident of history in some ways, which I can share a little bit more about when we get to that, um, that portion. But the other parts are equally as important of the framework, I think, to consider. So just to go through briefly the steps in the Eightfold Path, the first one is about um, view, the second one is about intention, 
Then it's about speech, action, and livelihood. So what you do in your work is covered in this too. And then it's about effort, mindfulness, and concentration of focus. Now the Ipoh Pastor, there are words before each of these usually, they get translated in different ways. And the Pali word is Sama. And sometimes it's translated as right, sometimes as wise, sometimes as skillful. So meaning, sometimes it's called right view, sometimes it's called wise view, sometimes it's called skillful view. Each of these has their uh, positive uh, connotation and their negative connotation. So right view, immediately many people have the idea like, oh, there's a wrong view, and so there's right and wrong, and oh, it's just as judgmental as anything else, and you know, going down that spiral. Usually in the, in the framework of the Dharma, there, it's not so much like right and wrong, like good and bad, demerit and uh, merit in that way, but uh, actually the idea of wise, what is wise, what is skillful? So what is it that leads towards happiness? And what is the step on the path that's in the right direction, in that way, right? Uh, and what is uh, unskillful? So what is a step in, in the other direction, away from happiness, so towards uh, disharmony? Also, you could say it's like, what are the steps that are in line with an understanding about the way things truly are, which is how I was talking about the Dharma uh, the last time. So what's in harmony with, with, with actually the truth, the truth of not just uh, suffering and the end of suffering, but about reality, the truth of who we are, the truth about what life is. So the Buddha uh, taught people, and oftentimes when he taught, he started out with uh, teaching about generosity and teaching about uh, ethical conduct, so sila, ethical conduct. And I think it's always a helpful place to start to think about our actions in the world. And meditation and cultivating the mind is very important. And uh, that is actually uh, taught as uh, the foundation of all our actions come from the mind. So before we take an action, it arises in our mind as some intention of some sort. And as I said in the Dhammapada, famously stated by the Buddha, the mind is the forerunner of all things. Speak and act with an impure mind, and suffering will follow like the wheel follows the hoof of the ox that draws the cart. Mind is the forerunner of all things. Speak and act with a pure mind, and happiness will follow as closely as your own shadow. So mind is the forerunner of all things, and yet mind is fairly subtle. To be able to pay attention to intentions, to be able to pay attention to the energy of the mind is, is very subtle. On a more gross level, there's actually what we're actually doing in the world. So what we're doing with our arms, legs, body, what we're doing with our words. So it's always a good place to start, too, and paying attention to what's, what's actually happening there. So that's why I'd like to start on the topic, just talking about wise or skillful action as the component of the Eightfold Path. So paying attention to our conduct in the world. So you may have heard this also articulated as a precept, so the guidelines for lay people. And anyone here has been on a retreat and uh, been offered the precepts to take the precepts and then you will chat them or say them or be asked to agree to them and then you know, off you go. But then oftentimes they're not talked about that much more if you do a meditation retreat. It's mostly that uh, beginning part, kind of thing. It's like your orientation, your initiation. 
I find them very powerful. They're very powerful uh, things to reflect on, things to pay attention to in life. They're kind of like these um, sort of particular energy points, strong energy points that you might find in the world of our action overall. Right? So there are all these different things that we do and we say and we're like up to. And then there are these certain points that it's, it's asked like, let's pay attention to this. Let's pay attention in this circumstance. Let's pay attention here. Let's pay attention here. And the Eightfold Path, uh, he pulls out speech as separate from the other ones in the precepts. So there's five precepts, you may have thought of, right? And speech is one of them, so that leaves four. And actually, in the wise action, skillful action, three of them, only three of them are the ones that are specifically mentioned, which I'll talk about with you tonight. So I think these prescriptions for wise action are both the beginning and the end of the path, because it's the articulation of how we should try to act, how we should like aim to, but also it's a prescription about a description of how we would act if we actually were enlightened. So if we actually were free, there's a description of how we naturally act. So in that way it's both the beginning and the end. So it's also very helpful to pay attention to one's own action in this area because it gives you some sense about where it is that you need to pay attention. So where you might be holding on or where there's some sense of delusion going on. Uh, if there might be that lingering somewhere. So the first one is around uh, not killing. Not killing or destroying living creatures. And with each of these, there's kind of the, um, there's the main one, which as lawyers would call for the bright line one, you know, so don't kill life. But then below that, there's other reflections we can take. So then, you know, then you might think like, oh, but can I beat life? Like, no, don't beat my, <laughs> don't beat people up. Just, can you beat them, but if you don't kill them? No, no. So that's also not recommended. So, uh, so the main one is don't kill, right? Don't destroy life. But then actually there's all, you know, beneath that too, about uh, all the different levels in which we could uh, cause pain or cause harm, right? So avoid doing those things that cause harm to other life forms. And of course in the Buddhist teachings we include not just people, but also uh, all living creatures. So animals, insects. So it's with this understanding, kind of the, the, the meditation we did at the end there, the meta meditation is, you know, I wish to be happy. Like I would like to be healthy. I would like to be safe. Like all of us probably feel this way. You don't have to be any particularly sophisticated or you know, smart or anything to feel that way. Like all people feel that way. And you can extrapolate actually that just as I like to feel that way, not only do all people wish to be that, but so do all animals. So all animals wish to be safe and healthy and happy and not live in fear and not be hurt. Uh, all of us who have uh, are embodied as physical bodies are subject also to pain in this area. And here we come into, into uh, contact with just the real tenderness of life, you know, like with having, being embodied, having a human body, we're all subject to so much pain, so much potential pain that's really out of our control in the world. And you can take care of yourself and you can uh, try to eat well and you can try and exercise and then still body is subject to sickness. Right? The body is subject to accidents happening. 
things that are beyond your control happening, like has happened to Eugene. It was a very sick uh, 62-year-old guy. Accident happened. So protecting life is the other side of that too. So not just not to destroy or kill life, or not to harm life, but then the positive side is actually to protect life. So as much as we can, actually, can we be a supporter of living creatures, living beings? So that means not just like, okay, I'm not going to kill someone and I'm not going to hurt someone, but if I see someone being hurt and I feel like I can do something, then can I do something to help protect them too? If it's in my power to actually do that. You can reflect on this both from, you know, what it is that you've actually done, if there have been times in your life when you've actually uh, not lived in, in line with this precept and how that's impacted you. And also when other people haven't been in line with that precept, how that's impacted you. So times when someone else has caused you some physical harm, uh, bodily injury in your life, you know, whether small or large. Or if you can remember at any time when you might have caused harm, you have some sense of uh, ignorance or some sense of aggression or not being clear. And how that feels in retrospect, like as you reflect on that. And not even do you have to be the direct recipient of violence in this way. So sometimes also just witnessing someone else, inflicting violence on someone else, also is very difficult. This is where the protect life uh, comes in. A friend of mine was telling me recently about an act of violence that she witnessed on her way back from uh, work. She works in the tenderloin and uh, how difficult it was for her to see some, someone was beating up someone else and she tried to yell at them and then you know, she assessed that she felt like she couldn't, she wasn't big enough to be able to uh, physically uh, pull apart the fight. So you know, she left and then tried to call someone, but uh, how much it impacted her to see that just people hurting each other like that, too. So undertake the precept to refrain, precept to refrain from destroying living creatures, and then to protect life, too. So the teachings are that uh, we have actually this purity of mind and heart that then gets overshadowed by our mistaken sense of how things are. So out of ignorance, out of delusion, we see things in a limited way, we see things in a way that's not really true. So this state that could be a state of just clarity and purity and wisdom gets covered over by greed, by hatred, by delusion. Delusion is part of uh, both greed and hatred, I would say. So in this case, with this precept about not harming, it's mostly hatred that comes up. It's mostly the sense of violence, this aggression that arises in our heart. That we don't see, and that we don't see, and are not able to let go of. So I think this is the main one to look at. This one is like when hatred of intention arises. So hatred, violence, aggression. So being aware of how that arises in you in small ways, in big ways, and looking at how you work with that and how that gets acted out sometimes. As all these precepts, they're like training precepts. So they're like things to pay attention to, and also things that we fail at. So uh, it's not an ethical conduct system that is uh, like someone up there is looking at you and that's why you should do it or something like that. 
is actually because this is in line with our training of happiness, our training of freedom, our training of seeing the way things really are. So including that our life is not separate from another life. So hurting another life is the same as trying to hurt ourselves in some way. And when we feel very separate, we don't see that, so then we can act that out. But when we actually do feel that, when we know that, it's, it's actually impossible to do that in a, in a way. So the things that are counter to that are cultivating compassion and loving kindness. So actually cultivating those qualities of compassion, kindness in our hearts. When we have compassion and kindness in our hearts, then it's impossible to actually harm another being or kill someone in that way. So the second precept, uh, and the second part of this wise action, is around, uh, I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not offered or given. So basically, stealing things, or in this case also taking things that you're not sure if it would be stealing or not, like it's unclear, right? that shady area, that gray area. Right? So what's the root of this one? The root of this one is actually greed. So why, does it, why do we want to take things? Like we have this sense of like, oh, there's me and this object and I want that. And in that moment of uh, mistakenness, we think like, oh, I need that thing. I need that thing that will make me complete. Right? Uh, everything will be perfect if I have that object. I need that. And this sense of, of greed, of craving, of clinging, all in uh, unseen operation causes us to take something. So the opposite of that is non-clinging, is renunciation. Uh, letting go is actually generosity. So cultivating generosity is counter to that. Cultivating a sense of knowing when there's enough. See, cultivating gratitude and simplicity in our life is counter to this uh, intention of craving, clinging, taking what's not offered. Sharing time, energy, resources with other people. And then respect, so respecting uh, property of others. So again, you can consider times in which uh, you took something that wasn't really offered to you. And remember, if you can, like how that felt. Uh, oftentimes, there's a sense of fear, like, oh, what if I'm caught, what if I'm found out? Right? Oftentimes, in the moment, also, you're kind of in the clutch of this thing. Like, you're actually kind of possessed, you know, by the sense of, of wanting that thing and needing to get it and carry that out. And then oftentimes afterwards there's a sense of, uh, there can be a sense of guilt or regret or worry if someone's going to catch you, find you out. On the other side, you can also consider times when someone has taken something from you and how that made you feel. And probably many of us have had something stolen from us at some point in our life. And consider the impact that that had on you, even if it was something very small from you. So oftentimes it gives you this sense of unsafety and a sense of like a lack of trust. Like I can't really trust others, I can't trust life. I have to be on guard a lot because I don't know what's going to happen. So it creates a sense of unrest living beings when you take things that are, are not offered to you. Now one of the, the the best gifts, it said, is to be able to give people and other beings the sense of 
safety in your presence. And even if you just follow these precepts, like these guidelines, like you can give that sense of safety. So if, if someone, living being feels in your presence, like, oh, this person is not going to inflict violence on me. Like, they're not going to harm me like that. Or they feel like, oh, I can actually feel safe, like this person's not going to take things from me that I'm not offering them. So already it, it gives you a sense like, oh, you can actually relax with this person. It's a great gift to give people in there. When you consider like, how many people you actually really feel like that with, you know, like really truly feel like that, like, oh, it would be you know, unthinkable that this person would inflict violence or take something from me. You know, they're just full integrity on these points. It's very helpful for the world that there would be more people who have that. So in those first two, you already have basically the outline of the whole path. So if you can pay attention and know when hatred, violence arises in your heart and be able to let it go. You can pay attention to when greed arises, clinging, and be able to let that go. That's great. You're doing very well. <laughs> and you're cultivating your mind in that. That's a, a subtlety of being able to pay attention to the mind. Now the third one is, uh, in some ways, kind of a subset of the uh, other two. And this is particularly around sexual activity, sexual conduct. And understanding the precept to refrain from sexual conduct that causes harm. Now the Buddha didn't spell it out. Uh, he spelled it out in some cases, like this means not forcing someone to have sex with you, not having sex with someone underage or uh, you know, under protection uh, of uh, elders, not having sex with someone who uh, it doesn't seem like is free to do that. So like someone who would be, uh, in that time it would be like a servant or indentured or something like that. But now I think it might extend to even like someone who has some financial uh, holdover, right? Like even at work or something, right? where someone feels like coerced into having some kind of uh, sexual relationship. But he didn't really spell it out that much beyond that. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm this kind of action and that kind of action. It was mostly like, not, don't cause harm, and specifically in these categories of uh, cases in which you're forcing someone to uh, have sex with you. But the rest of it, like, you have to pay attention. So you have to pay attention to what that means. And you have to pay attention to the subtlety of that. So like, how does sexual energy arise in my body how does that affect my mind? How does that affect how I interact with other people? So sexual energy is a very powerful force in our life. And in some way we're all just like, on one level, just like animals, right? So like, we have an animal self, so we eat and we drink and we get hungry and we get cold and then we have sexual energy and sexual urges. And it's not considered that these are bad things at all. You know, this is just, it's no worse than like that you get hungry or thirsty or something like that. But then how do you act that out? Or how do you uh, interact with that in the world? So much harm has come from uh, sexuality being used in a way that's uh, not in harmony with the way things are, I have to say. And I know this both from my own experience, but as I'm a Dharma teacher and I sit with people on retreats and sit with people in their lives as they um, talk about uh, their practice, it's just become so incredibly apparent how much pain has been caused in the world from sexual abuse. 
for sexual abuse of children and also sexual abuse in relationships. It's much less seen than um, stealing or killing, per se, but it's so pervasive and it's really a very painful dimension of uh, how we interact with each other. And then also there's the other side in which I think sexuality can be really beautiful and it can be a really beautiful way for us to connect and actually to heal each other and to share love and uh, support one another. In this area of life in which we become very vulnerable and actually can expose both our sacredness and our woundedness to another being. So if someone is able to interact with us in the realm of sexuality in a way that's actually respectful and kind uh, and connecting, it can be such a beautiful thing. So I think in this way also it's important for us all to cultivate our capacity for this. And to cultivate our own capacity to be aware of what's coming up in our mind-body system and to know what the effect of that is on others. So again, you can consider the times when you were engaged in sexuality in a way that felt good and positive, harmonious, and times in which it felt not. And times in which someone else was engaged with you, right, in that way, that feels uh, positive, healing, whole, and times in which you might have felt um, used or harmed or uh, in some negative way. And it doesn't even have to go to the level of sexual activity, too, right? So even in more subtle ways, like how we interact with each other, like how we give off sexual energy or when or in what way, uh, in a more subtle way, it's like paying attention to the dynamics. So then you you can observe people on the bus or something like that, and someone is sort of like in someone else's space and like kind of hitting on them, and you can see that person feels uncomfortable, or maybe you're that person on the bus. Maybe you're in one of those two roles. So becoming really aware of our impact on others, uh, and impact on ourselves about uh, sexuality and how that energy plays out in the world. So I said that speech was uh, kept as a separate one. So speech is a, we'll, we'll uh, talk about that another time. And then the fifth of the precepts is actually not officially listed, interestingly, in the Eightfold Path. And the fifth one is actually around uh, paying attention to uh, and refraining from intoxicating drinks and drugs which lead to carelessness. So I've reflected on this song, like, well, why is it that that's not in there? Right? Uh, and I think it's because it's it's actually the main thing about that is uh, leading to carelessness and leading to unclarity. So it's actually like you should pay attention to these three main ones, right? Uh, and anything that undermines your ability to actually carry that out uh, is something to be avoided. <laughs> so it doesn't even necessarily need to be mentioned, although in many other ways when the Buddha is talking to lead people about uh, precepts and training precepts, he does talk about avoiding intoxicating drinks and, drink and drugs that lead to carelessness. But really the, the emphasis in that is like, what is the effect on your mind and what is the effect on your actions? So also I think many of the occasions in which people are engaged in destroying living creatures, in stealing things, definitely sexual misconduct, alcohol or drugs is involved, like significant amount of time, in which people do things that they later regret, uh, or in which people are in situations where someone else is inflicting something on them that they regret. There's frequently some, uh, something involved in which has clouded someone's mind.
So I like the, um, some of the uh, wording of this that the Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh has <coughs> and called it the Five Wonderful Mindfulness Trainings. They're very upbeat in Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition. They're like, they're positive about the things. Or the Five Wonderful Precepts. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, these are like training precepts. So these are like training guidelines. To help us in our quest for uh, freedom, for enlightenment, for happiness. So here's the first one. The first one around the precept to refrain from destroying living creatures. So here's his articulation. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I vow to cultivate compassion and learn ways to protect the lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I'm determined not to kill, not to let others kill and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking, and in my way of life. So expanding this beyond just determined not to kill or let others kill, but also considering killing in the world and my thinking. Broader implications of this. Second one, around I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. So here's his uh, articulation. Aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I vow to cultivate loving kindness and learn ways to work for the well-being of people, animals, plants, and minerals. I vow to practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I'm determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I'll respect the property of others, but I will prevent others from profiting from human suffering or the suffering of other species on Earth. So the third one, he talks about uh, suffering caused by sexual misconduct. And in this one, there's one piece that's a, uh, a little controversial because it's his uh, articulation is not is more explicit than the Buddha, so I'll point that one out. So aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I vow to cultivate responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. So here's his, his one that's uh, somewhat sometimes controversial. I'm determined not to engage in sexual relations without love and long-term commitment. To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I'm determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to prevent couples and families from being broken by sexual misconduct. So those three, and then, um, because I like his articulation of the fifth one, even though it's not officially within the um, wise action, this is the one on intoxicant, so I'll read this one to you. So aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption, I vow to cultivate good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society, by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I vow to ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body, in my consciousness and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. I'm determined not to use alcohol or any other intoxicant or to ingest foods or other items that contain toxins, such as certain TV programs, (laughs) (laughs) magazines, books, films, and conversations. I'm aware that to damage my body or my consciousness with these poisons is to betray my ancestors, my parents, my society and future generations. 
I will work to transform violence, fear, anger, and confusion in myself and in society by practicing a diet for myself and for society. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and the transformation of society. So thank you to Tikkat Han for his uh, articulation of that. So you can see that these are actually very deep, right? When you actually reflect on them and you consider them. If we actually follow these, what a different world it would be, right? What a different city this would be. What a different society this would be. So what impact can we have on that? The first place is actually paying attention to our own conduct in this way. Paying attention to our own mind and then paying attention to our own actions. And if you think about what are the conditions that create or support us acting in this way, one of them is actually being around others who act in this way, right? So with all of these, like it's easier to be uh, generous when you're around people who are generous and share things. It's easier to be a gentle person when you're around people who are nonviolent, right? who are not aggressive. It's, easy to, it's easier to deal with sexuality in a healthy way when you're around people who also are healthy about it. So here's where I think each of us can be like a powerful beacon of leadership, uh, of uh, Dharma leadership in our lives. And it's actually a very radical thing, even just by upholding these, these uh, suggestions on wise action. So just by doing your best to actually follow these precepts, you can have a big effect on people around you, a big effect on society, a big effect on your neighbors, your coworkers, your family. And it comes back also to this, uh, this sense in the, in the well-wishing that we were doing, the loving-kindness practice. Uh, and you were talking about some of you in the class that I'm doing about this. It's about unconditional well-wishing. So it's not about like, oh, depending on what you give me, I'll wish well for you. But if you cut me short, then I'm cutting you short too. You know? <laughs> so it's not like that. With the sense of metta, it's like, I'm going to have a sense of friendliness to you and well-wishing, regardless of what you dish out. So similarly, can we have this kind of commitment to uh, ethical conduct, to sila, you know, that we're going to be the ones to uphold us, supporting and protecting life, uh, that we're committed to that, that we're committed to actually uh, not stealing and uh, protecting uh, and respecting others' property, that we're actually committed to being someone who considers others in sexuality and ourselves too, and who has uh, respect uh, for this dimension of life. So regardless of how other people are being or you know what you get from society or how people are talking in the next uh, room, you know, I think this is integrity. Like integrity is being whole, is being connected in this way, and being able to be grounded in this incredibly powerful thing in the world. So I would suggest to you for the next week to uh, choose one of these to pay attention to in particular in your life. So the first one around destroying life, killing life, protecting life. Second one around taking what's not offered, generosity. The third one around uh, harmful, harming others or yourself with sexuality. So pick whichever one seems kind of like most interesting to you, juicy, whichever struck you most. And just try and pay attention during the week to like how that plays out for you. So both how it plays out for you, like what you do, 
in what ways do you act in ways that you feel like, okay, this is this seems good, in what ways do you feel like, yeah, I could tighten that up a little or a lot, right? Uh, and if there are some areas in which you feel like, yeah, I could pay attention more, then um, just to get interested in that, to pay attention to that. Right? So it's not about like flagellating yourself for how bad you are, or, you know, how Buddha would be ashamed of you, right? Like, it's just to, to look and see and understand the way that our mind and body works and how we're, we're acting out in our life. Try to understand with compassion and then try to see that clearly. So, for example, like, uh, you know, about taking things that are not um, offered. Uh, so I noticed at one point that there's this way in which, like, I would definitely would not steal things, but I would notice this tendency, like, if there's something that's, like, it's, it's not that big deal if it's going to be taken or not. It's like a packet of sugar in a place or something like that. Or, then it's not just a pen or something. Nobody's really going to care, right? The victimless crime, right? You don't have a pen, and there's a pen in the bank, and so then you take it, and someone else probably just left it there, and it's not like they're going to drive all the way back to the pen. I don't know, like justification, right? Um, and then at a certain point, I decided, you know, like I need to pay attention to this because there's a way in which I'm actually feeding the acquisitive mind, you know, and I'm, I'm like feeding that drive for for acquisition that sort of like self-centered, greed, craving mind. Uh, every time I allow myself to act out on this, you know, it's a small thing, it's not like a giant bank heist, but still, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, when I'm, when I'm seeing that and I'm like letting that slide, I'm actually reinforcing this behavior and this quality of mind that I do not want to reinforce. You know, this is actually counter to the direction that I want to uh, cultivate in my own heart and mind. So even though it doesn't seem like a big deal and, you know, no one might complain about it, like, I know myself, even if nobody else knows, like, I know, you know. And I know the seeds that I'm planting with this, uh, and those are not the seeds that I want to plant. So, and each time that you, you see that happening and you decide to let it go, you're actually planting the other seeds. So planting the seeds of renunciation. You're actually weakening the power of the uh, greedy mind, or the, the clinging mind, the craving mind, right? Or this idea, this is just sort of like, self-centered view that we usually move around with, that it's sort of like, oh, what's, it, what's in it for me, or something like that, you know? How is everything related to me? What's good for me? Right. So undercut that, you know, it's good to like cut that one off at the knees when you can, you know, break through that one. Get a broader view, right? expand consciousness beyond that limited, limited view that's usually there. So I offer those uh, reflections for you on the links of uh, wise action, and see if anyone has any comments or questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your opinion on hands? So, so what's your opinion on hands? <laughs> Ants in there in, the, in your kitchen and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so my opinion about ants is that ants also wish to be happy. They're <laughs> 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 alive. <laughs> and you can actually observe this. Like, uh, I think it's good to observe insects, you know, really closely sometimes. Because here again, it's like, so, say there's some insects in your kitchen and you don't want them to be there, then your relationship with them is like, they're an obstacle to what I want. So then when we have this certain view of them in which we're not really seeing them just for who they are, right? In some way. Now this may seem a little, like, you know, uh, grandiose, but, but it's like we're not just seeing them for just who they are in and of themselves. So I think it's helpful to actually just, like, take a look at them, you know? Like, see if you can actually 
meet them, get interested in them, look at them. You know, before you like reflexively kill them or do something like that. And uh, and notice they're actually kind of cool and interesting. You know, they're like little antennae and um, you know they're checking things out and then they interact with each other. And that's the amazing in fact. I mean, sometimes they're like dragging this thing that's ten times the size of their body. You know, like across the floor and they're taking long distances and. Uh, so that's pretty amazing, you know. <laughs> so then I think it's, it's helpful, even if, if you later decide, like, I'm going to to actually just respect and take a look at the end, like, see that which you're about to knock off, you know. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it might make you do something different, right? The other thing I think is that um, the thing with killing is that it might be okay if we could also uh, resurrect, you know, like, we actually have the power to bring back to it. Because, like, well, I can snuff an ant right, like that, you know, but I can't bring it back to life like that. Right? Like, I can't bring anything back to life like that. I don't have that power. Right? Uh, and you consider it sort of like, well, there's, there's larger animals that could actually do that to us, right? So, uh, there are larger beings, or even if they're not, you know, there's not dinosaurs anymore, but there are large animals that could smell us. Or, the famous that humans and like hummers could do that. Right, you know, <laughs> there are different forms of life who could actually take you out like that, but just like that, with the push of a button. And that's really true, like with guns, you know, so I was in the mission, and I think um, on Friday night, um, a couple more shot 16th mission, right? it was like 11 p.m. by the bar station. And it's just easy to do that with guns, like all it takes is a little twitch, you know, it's just like a little twitch, and, and then someone is dead. So it's like, okay, on the other side of that, like, yeah, I like to be alive. Like, I don't want someone to be able to snuff me out like that, just on their way. I would at least like them to look at me and examine what an amazing life form I'm before they, <laughs> I don't know, just, you know, appreciate something, like, connect and, and see that, right? And then sometimes as we connect to that, then we see, like, oh, yeah, actually, these ants, like, maybe there's something else. Like, let's, let's see if we can work something out yet. <laughs> be a little creative about it, right? So then, um, you know, there are things that would take more trouble than actually, like, Nothing like that, but uh, it does take take a little bit more effort. So, so uh, I remember actually when I first went to San Francisco, um, around the time of the Day of the Dead, and um, which had just passed, someone had given me some uh, those little skulls, and uh, suddenly all these ants showed up in my room, and I didn't understand why, because I didn't know the skulls were made of sugar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like plaster, but it was sugar. So then. Uh, yeah, struggling with this, like, what to do with the ants? Don't have the ants there? She's unclean. Uh, and this was an easy one because finally someone from San Francisco had pointed out the obvious, which was that I had a giant hunk of sugar in my room. <laughs> 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 if I moved that elsewhere, then the ants would probably go elsewhere, which is what happened. But they were trying all these different things, like, oh, they don't like cinnamon, so you put cinnamon here, or, you know, that. So there's other, there are other options to consider. So I just think it's like, it's better to, to actually take it seriously and consider it both for what actually is happening externally to that other form of life, but also pay attention to what's happening in your own mind in that moment, right? So in your own moment, mind, at the moment of killing life, at the moment of actually like snuffing out another life form, it's a little bit of intensity, you know? Like even a small life form, I think it's actually, like if we're actually being very sensitive and paying attention, uh, there's a moment in which we have to kind of like Went or like you know block block out in order to be able to do that. So just noticing that, right? And also, uh, you know, not to make it like so simple like that, because um, there's a way in which all life is feeding off each other too. Right? So even, uh, for example, when you brush your teeth, 
uh, you're actually killing life, right? Like you're killing bacteria, perhaps, or something like that, right? Or if you have an infection and you take an antibiotic, that's like anti-life, that's like killing bacteria, right? Uh, or if you have a urinary tract infection, you drink gallons of cranberry juice also. <laughs> you're knocking out life. But usually your intention in that is not like, oh, now I will kill bacteria before I go to sleep, right? <laughs> it's usually more like, oh, I'll protect my teeth, I'll be clean, you know, like that, right? So there's a different intention in that, right? Um, and sometimes there might be cases in which you decide that you're going to do that. If you decide to do that, then you do that, and then the karma of that, so this will go to the first link, which we'll talk about another time, but that all actions have results. So including killing ants. All actions have results, both in your mind, and what you're cultivating in your mind, and how that plays out, and then also, actually also in the future. So, you know, sometimes people will uh, knowingly understand, be like, you know what, this is what I have to do in this case, I have to kill, so I'm going to do that. But it's very, it's like grave, uh, grave karmic consequences for... Uh, taking that on, so it's not to be taken lightly. And of course, as a Buddhist teacher, you know, my recommendation is to avoid doing it. <laughs> but if you do it, then it's like, okay, you know, and, and many of us may have done that in the past. So either prior to your thinking about other forms of life, you might have killed other insects or animals, or some people have been hunters, or some people have been, may even have killed life, right? Right now, there's a bunch of soldiers, right, from our country, in different countries uh, who are there fighting wars and, uh, you know, based on our tax dollars, etc., killing life. And some of them have found themselves in this situation and then they're in like a kill or be killed thing and, you know, I don't know. So it's, I feel like it's not to be like self-righteous about it uh, in that way because these are complex and difficult situations. And even if you're in that situation, if you kill someone else, regardless of the circumstances, right, like that is actually a serious, significant uh, act to take as a human being. And uh, I think the Buddha pointing these out, these particular things, because it's like, yeah, this is very meaningful. This is a significant thing. So it's different than like making bad art or, I don't know, you know, any number of other things you can do, right? <laughs> like killing life, pay attention to this, you know. Yeah. Hatred and anger, question about hatred. Um, I think I've heard you speak about anger of all factions also. And I'm wondering, you know, as a really small example, um, I drove around my neighborhood for about 20 minutes, 20 minutes, and couldn't find a spot, and finally find a spot. And then somebody, I'm like, I've got my blinker on, I'm like, get ready, somebody told me. City dweller, any city dweller with a vehicle can relate to that, <laughs> <laughs> that scenario, I think. And, um, uh, and his excuse was that he had, he had driven around a lot. <laughs> 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 so you have to interact with him then? Yeah, I told him, I said, you know, I'm going to 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there are many lessons to be learned from things like that. Among them is actually um, actually noticing what it feels like to have that happen to you, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, your sense of like, uh, in some ways you could say that was like a sort of being robbed, according to me. Like, the rules of street parking, if you're in this thing and you have a yeah. blinker on, right? It's like someone took it. Right? Yeah. So, like, what does that feel like? So then, you could be driven to be like, oh, I'm going to do that now. Is that how it is? All right, I'm going to, you know, right? But then if you try and remember, like, how that felt to have that done to you, you know, sometimes that helps you to, like, distance from that, right? So, yeah. And, um, I mean, parking is an interesting thing. In some ways, it is like a war. <laughs> Spaces, like, right? people, and it's like, it's a rich commodity. It's people <laughs> a certain mentality about it. And it's, it's helpful to, like, to look at what one's mentality is around different scenarios. Like driving is a very rich one for, uh, for looking at this. Right? There's so many different things about it. So one is like you could just, you, know, you could sort of see it as like, oh, there's this scarce commodity and like there's me and there's the parking spot and like I have to get it and so on, right? Um, and then sometimes you could get into this other kind of state that's a bit more of like a state of grace about it, you know? Like a state of like, uh, being more, I don't know, there's a, there's a way in which, uh, I've had it both ways, like I've been in a mentality of being like, the scarce commodity and it's a competitive jungle and like, you know, that kind of thing, and that doesn't feel good, <laughs> you know, being in that mode uh, as a driver doesn't feel good. And I recently have been making driving a practice because I realized that there's ways in which um, uh, I've been avoiding driving, like I don't really like driving and part of it is because uh, it is, you know, it's actually skillful to avoid things that are the cause for arising unskillful states, <laughs> like becoming more aggro, you know. <laughs> um, but also, it's helpful to look at that, like to take a look at that, right? So to pay attention to like what one's uh, relationship is to that. So, so in each case, in each scenario, there's like a different thing that could be done. I mean, I, I actually am glad to hear that you have some interaction with them, because then it's like, okay, making that that individual more aware of the impact of like what they did, right? Um, but it's hard to tell what, what's the, the, you know, what would be the skillful and helpful thing to say in different situations. And if you can look at it though, as like an interesting creative practice of like, well, what would be the thing to be done in this case? And not from a like, uh, what's the rule about it, but actually if you can try and be in a space of like real honesty and uh, as much presence as you can, and then, you know, see what comes, then so now the anger is called for action. I wasn't thinking of that as in terms of like you know keying someone's car or something like that. But uh, uh, more that like sometimes anger does put us in, in touch with, and, and it could be in this case too of like oh something is wrong, like something has gone, like some, someone has done something that needs attention, like something needs to be done here or said, right? So in this case, like you did actually do or say something, but then so like you do what you can, and then it's like okay, so it goes. Right? Um, the other reflection is like this is samsara, so this is like the flawed, messy, ugly world of parking and ants and death and, you know, accidents and, uh, uh, yeah, this is it. Like, it's not getting better, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and even when you're fully enlightened, someone's going to do that. <laughs> you know? yeah, you'll just have a different mental reaction to it, <laughs> you know. But it's not like everyone will uh, treat you uh, in, you know, a revered way that you would like to have uh, them treat you. 
So it's good to practice with this now because like it's going to be there, right? And some sense that we have, like like pay attention if there's some like niggling sense that like oh it shouldn't be like this, mm-hmm. right? Like it shouldn't be like this, or maybe at some point in the future it's not going to be like this when X, Y, and Z happens, right? So anytime you have this like it shouldn't be like this, you know what it is like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is like this now. So and it is like this because for different causes. So reflect on, like, why is it like this? And what am I doing to contribute or not contribute to this, right? <coughs> also, if this is more advanced practice, actually to have compassion for the wolf who just took your parking spot, right? Uh, because they're doing that from the state of, like, like they're being very aggro about it, right? Like, this is their, like, they know they did something wrong, but they're just like, I'm going to take what I can get, right? So they have just planted those seeds of uh, self-centeredness further, driving that stake in, so yeah, they got a parking space for now, but uh, you know, those seeds have been planted and will also bloom in some way, right? So, and that's not that's not the, it's not to look at karma from the like oh they're going to get theirs down the road, right? <laughs> but just knowing like cause and effect, like cause and effect, you know, this stuff is uh, it's actually more important I think than who gets the spot, you know, like who got the parking spot or that you have to make more rounds. It's actually the cultivation of your own mind and heart, just like. Mm-hmm. Here in Samsara, like the parking spots, that scenario is going to play out day after day after day. In fact, in some ways that might be like the definition of Samsara. Like <laughs> <laughs> looking for parking spots. <laughs> <laughs> Having people feel that from you. It's like a modern version of that. Which is reason enough to just get a bike to go. Alright, so we come to the end of our time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.